0: What's up, folks? Happy Tuesday, special edition Tuesday show. We are not a Monday show today. This is episode 11 of The Emulsion. I'm your host, Justin Kana, and just in case this is your first time joining us, this is a little show where I chat chef and restaurant and food stuff that basically mattered to me in the last week or so. I bring up some non industry stuff towards the end so you can make a little list of stuff that you want to move on to next if you're listening to this show on your relaxation time, your day off, but links to all of the stories that I cover can be found more or less in the show notes below wherever you're enjoying my lovely voice, whether that's on Facebook or on iTunes or maybe on SoundCloud. It's all there. I've got a super-duper special announcement planned all the way at the end of this show, so definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, I love that we say tuned still, like tune in with radios. I was literally thinking about that the other day when I was looking at my phone at the little phone icon, you know, the one that you actually use to make calls. No one really uses phones that look like that anymore. I mean, I guess some people do, but I I, I think about that. Like, what are kids in 10 years going to reference when they think of phones or radios or any of that? Because that tech's not really going to be around anymore. Just thoughts. It's my show. I can say whatever I want. Okie dokie. Let's get into today's stories. And the first story I want to talk about today is, of course, the James Beard Awards. That event took place last night in Chicago. That's the third year in a row that the awards um, have taken place there instead of New York. Uh, The Oscars of food, more or less, is what they're called, and for good reason. There's trophies and black ties and clinking champagne flutes and a red carpet. And, of course, that's all in the name of recognition for everyone's hard work uh we've covered that a ton on the show kind of leading up to it not only the semi-finalists but the even like and the initial nominations and then the finalists and now of course the awards have happened so that's great we can cover that once more bring in a little bit full circle i coincidentally think uh i was actually in chicago this past weekend for a wedding we got back last evening uh while the awards were happening, landed and saw all of the award winners. Pretty sure I saw Matt Peters, the winner of the gold in Boku store, hop into a cab while we were there on Michigan Avenue. I'm not 100 percent sure if that was true, but regardless, I did not, of course, attend the awards. I'm not that cool or I, I didn't really have anything included with anyone involved. Um I was just there to celebrate a great friend of mine's uh wedding. So that was amazing. Had a great brunch at the spot called uh, Cafe Marie Jeanne. Had a ridiculously uh, bad amount of Shake Shack, which, you know, I'm not going to apologize for. And I drank a lot of really nice wine at the wedding from Napa. Um, so no complaints about, on my end. But back to the awards. The link in the show notes for you guys is the official article, um, it has the official press release on it, and it's. The article that Eater first published, and that's—I mean, I researched this story on a bunch of other different news outlets. They actually surprised it—surprisingly covered it better than any of the other big media sources, but they also released a really nice handy-dandy guide to awards, um— I'm not 100% sure if that's exactly what they're calling it, but it's linked up for your convenience, and to quote that, which is similar to a segment we actually did on this show a few weeks ago in anticipation of these awards, uh, just to remind you how the winners are selected, it's, quote, by a panel of 567 or so judges who vote online. Of those judges, 300 are previous Chef and Restaurant Award winners, 250 are regional panelists, and 17 are members of the Senior Restaurant Award Winners Committee. Now with that out of the way, let's get into who won what. In rapid fire style. Outstanding Chef goes to Michael Solomonov of Philly. Stephen Starr killed it with not only getting Best Restaurant Tour, but his spot Le Koku in New York City got Best New Restaurant. I'm hopefully butchering these names as badly as I feel like I am. Uh, the guy from Shia in New Orleans, Zachary Engel, got Rising Star Chef. Single Threads Designers for their beautiful space. Uh, I can't make wait to make it out there. And, of course, there are other categories like Outstanding Bar Program and Wine Program and a ton of other regional awards like Best Chef West and Best Chef Southwest and all of that. You can check out uh, all of it as well as the media winners, which is always cool for me to kind of find new authors or creators making stuff for your eyes and your ears. Uh, so I definitely recommend that list that got awarded a few nights ago it wasn't awarded last night. it's kind of like a big their little hype up um, where they award all the media uh, James Beard awards. So if you like long form articles or cookbooks or videos or podcasts, wink wink uh, check that list out. It's a definitely uh, good to check out who's been killing it the last year and what to kind of expect going forward from really really great uh, individuals and um, media companies. Big shockers of the night. Uh, This is something that even the big media outlets were covering, so I wanted to talk about it. Uh, And I want to go deeper into it just to kind of like, there needs to be more conversation on both of these two topics. So Rick Bayless's Topolobampo won outstanding restaurant. Uh, That was a shock to some people because it beat out places like Momofuku Noodle Bar and Quince from San Francisco. So just a disclaimer, I've eaten at all three of those places, so Momofuku, Topolobampo, and Quince. And if you look at the nomination subtitle for the award that Topolobampo won, which is Outstanding Restaurant, it states, quote, a restaurant in the United States that serves as a not national standard bearer of consistent quality and excellence in food, atmosphere, and service. Eligible restaurants must have been in operation for 10 or more consecutive years. So the restaurants that were nominated include Frasca Food and Wine uh, in Boulder, Colorado, Highlands Bar and Grill in Birmingham, Alabama, Momofuku Noodle Bar, Quince, The Spotted Pig, and Topolobampo. So let's break this down a little bit more. First two, I haven't been. The Boulder Restaurant and the Birmingham um, Restaurant, I haven't been to either of those cities, so I haven't had a opportunity to kind of, I can't speak for their food. However, Momofuku Noodle Bar is not not a national standard bearer of consistent quality and excellence. It's tasty, but there are plenty of places around that do a better pork bun and better ramen. Um, not necessarily at the same place. You could argue that Iputo is probably better. They are a chain. Um, you know, David Chang has built a great empire, but to me, noodle bar is now outstanding, at least in my very humble opinion. Spotted pig has been on the decline, at least from the media's perspective, losing its star and getting a little bit tired with other kind of grungy style places serving up seasonal bistro style food all over New York City and uh, I mean all over the country. So how can you kind of differentiate yourself when it's very it's a very replicable replicatable uh, model more or less. Also definitely not outstanding in my book, The Spotted Pig. I had a great meal there in September. Uh, I'm not 100% sure it fits the bill, though. Next, Quince. Yes, it has been around for a while, but for those of us that saw it basically grow from an upscale Italian spot to three Michelin stars, know that there's nothing consistent about that. They've had chef shuffles and dining team changes and atmosphere adjustments, and when you compare all these places to a restaurant that's as, number one, focused, number two, unique and has, number three, the character of a place like Topolobampo. to me this award makes 100% sense, and I'm not shocked at all that Topolobampo took the, the award last night. Their tasting menu was one of the most memorable I've ever had, and Rick Bayless continues to be a force in bringing awareness not just to Mexican food and culture, but serving it in a way that's approachable and, in my opinion, truly outstanding, so... Well done to him and to his team and, of course, all the nominees and winners. I'm sure it was a great event. If you want more on any of these awards or any of like the processes of how people are nominated or like the prerequisites that you have to take to get an award like this or what they mean, more or less, for the food industry, at least here in the U.S., check back to previous episodes of The Emulsion. We covered the whole thing. Tiny water break. We're going to take a water break. The second point I want to cover with this and unfortunately it gets brought up in every single award show ever or ever, ever every list every uh that is the lack of female award winners. Can we start a conversation here? Can the emulsion podcast be a source of, you know, kind of like starting something different? I'd really really like to hear your guys thoughts on this because to me, it's become this really tired thing that, at this point, just keeps getting brought up for the sake of clicks, in my opinion. Like, you write an article about your outrage that there's not enough female chefs, or that they don't get a recognition, or blah, 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 and a ton of people click on it, because, of course, like, it's this problem, quote-unquote, that doesn't have a solution, and it, you know, sparks a lot of debate, and people get really, like, emotionally invested into something like this, and you know, Eater talks about James Beard Awards, like, they bring this up. World's 50 Best talks about their award list, and they bring it up. They even had a, have a Best Female Chef-type, like, award that they give out every single year, and everybody gets all, you know, whatever about it. But you don't hear about it so much with the Michelin Guide. And to me, that is where the interesting point is, right? No one writes an article about, quote, like, why there aren't more female like, why there aren't more Michelin-starred female-run restaurants, right? You've never seen an article like that. What I have seen, I guess, in a little bit of research that I did, i tried to copy and paste that into Google to try to find something similar, but there's an article related to the topic by Bloomberg. Keep in mind, it was from 2014, written by Ryan Sutton. I'm not entirely sure it's the same Ryan Sutton that writes for Eater, but... It might be. I've linked it up in the show notes, a lot of good input from cooks and owners and a lot of interesting t- statistics relating to maternity leave and salary gaps and the percentage of restaurants run by females. And of course, that's uh, there's that piece that you probably saw kind of floating around about that restaurant in Belgium that had it was run by all female chefs and they got a Michelin star, but then they tried to give it back because they didn't want people's expectations to be unrealistic. You remember that, right? Well, what I'm saying and my point here is there's got to be another conversation. Um, And I want to start that here and I want to kind of get your input. I think we should look at it very objectively, fairly and equally. And let's start with saying there's a lot of restaurants out there, right? And yes, there's a lot of females working in this industry. But to operate at the highest level and to do it consistently – There's a lot of work involved, a lot of manual work, and a lot of politics, and a lot of managing. And to me, if you're good enough as a human being, like putting aside the entire female thing, just looking at it in this way, if you're good enough as a human being not only to put up with but thrive in an environment like that, and on top of that have enough talent in you to create something amazing, you will win. There's no, like, I'd be interested to kind of like hear a counter argument to that because if you if you satisfy all of those things you can put up with everything that comes with running a restaurant and you have the talent to create something amazing i think you will win now are you put it as at a disadvantage as a female because you can't maybe lift as much as that male colleague of yours and you maybe lose a little bit of prep time getting your produce up the stairs maybe work out and get stronger Do you know what I mean? Like, do your male colleagues respect you less because you've got a ponytail and like putting mascara on? The solution there is just have higher standards than them and hold them to those standards. I've worked with some pretty fucking terrifying females in kitchens who I respected way more than their male station partners. And for those reasons, they were straight up better than me. You can't argue with results. If there's someone who is just genetically built better for the job than you are, you have two choices. You can bitch and complain about it, or you can put in the work to be better than them. No one talks anymore about the lack of professional Caucasian athletes compared to African-American ones. As a white, -white, half-white, half-Indian dude, it's literally just understood that most black people are built better for running and jumping and lifting than I am. It's facts. Either I can tell everyone all about how I'm at a disadvantage or it's not fair, or I can work my ass off because I want to be great. The fact that Bloomberg article was written over three years ago and that it's being talked about today says a lot to me. No one cares about anyone's complaining. No one's going to make it easier for anyone. Hispanic or black or female or lesbian, it straight up doesn't matter. If your shit is good, the market decides. Okay. That's my rant of the day, but I'd love to hear your thoughts because this is—it's—it's it's a conversation that needs to be had more so than the curious. Hmm, I wonder why there aren't any females on this list or that ranking or don't have stars. Whew. All right, <laughs> rant over. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave them down in the comments. Hashtag the emulsion. I'll reply to you. I promise. Next story, and that's pretty great. Um for all of us out there, uh, more or less shooting for more than just food when we cook, and that's an article from Forbes that covers a restaurant that I mentioned earlier in the show, Single Thread, and it talks all about the, um, basically comparing the meal to a sporting event, so check it out, read the whole article, if you're in the industry, you aren't going to learn that much from it, you're not going to kind of get anything new, but I wanted to talk about it because it's this style of treating going out to eat as, like, just as seriously as buying a ticket to a sporting event or a concert and the anticipation of it is a change of a landscape and it's definitely worth noting. Um, The fact that Forbes is writing about it and it's getting more shared with people outside of the industry, kind of creating it more so as a norm, I think is, is, is very, very interesting. And as the author Barb Stuckey puts it, quote, it would be hard to argue that a restaurant at this level and price is anything other than entertainment. There's no need to eat this way. Yet some of us crave restaurants like Single Thread in the way a Giants fan craves the experience of seeing them play in the World Series. So to me, that's very, very interesting. And uh, it's it kind of like goes back to escapism. If you are willing to kind of like... If that is your escapism, if going out to restaurants like Barb Stuckey is a escapism for her she has no problem spending seven six hundred and i think six hundred and ninety seven dollars i think was her total you know six hundred and seventy seven dollars per person is what she paid because she also got through a reserve wine pairing is this a luxury she says yes but no more no more so than a ticket to the u.s open the super bowl or world series they're just different flavors of indulgence so that's great for us for us that want that, for us that shoot for that, for us that strive for that, and see it as an opportunity more so than uh, a change or a bad change or, you know, being romantic about the old school restaurant mindset. Next up, I've got some exciting news from the Alinea Group, a company that we talk about very often on the show. Uh, Not because I'm a fanboy, I've admittedly said that, you know, maybe I am a little bit of a fanboy, but... If, if we look at it very objectively, they're fucking doing it. And even if you don't like the modernist cuisine or Hollywood-based tasting menus or anti-griddles, you should, you should pay attention to how they operate their business. This story comes off of their newest book based off of The Aviary, their game-changing bar, now open in Chicago and also scheduled to open this summer in New York City. We've covered that on the show before. But why we're talking about it is that they kickstarted a cookbook. Uh, I guess you could maybe call it a cocktail book because it's based on this um, game-changing bar that they have, and congratulations to them. They surpassed their target goal of $50,000 in less than 24 hours on this Kickstarter of theirs. I'm going to quickly refresh my page so I can give you the latest uh, up-to-date dollar amount that they've uh, pledged. $81,501 pledged of the $50,000 goal, 722 backers, and there's literally 28 days left to do it. Um, They did a 30-day Kickstarter, started it yesterday, and before the day's end, they had already reached their goal. Um, So great, great news for them. It's super smart. They've no doubt covered um, all of their costs of the book itself, as well as offered some pretty interesting perks. Um... They have a uh, porthole package where you can get a book as well as the um, kind of very, very famous porthole uh, service piece. You can get uh, large-scale art prints from the book that are more or less mountable. You can you can hang them on your wall. They also has a, have a $2,500 package where you can kind of sit at the kitchen table and also spend a day honing your cocktail game with the chefs and the rest of the staff at the aviary. And then, of course, if you really want to shell out, $5,000 gets you an office package. You get a copy of the book, plus the opportunity to spend spend the evening with up to six friends in the underground speakeasy that they have underneath the restaurant. Uh, It couldn't have been that hard to set up for them. The video isn't incredibly well produced or anything like that. It's just a couple of Really nice tripod shots of people making you know their day to day today, um, and then of course interviews with Grant and Nick Konis. Uh, They reached out to the guy that cooked through the Alinea cookbook all those years ago. You remember him, um, Alan Hermber- Hemberger. Um, I didn't know this. He made a real book. He kickstarted it called the Alinea Project and sent it to Alinea, and that has paid off tremendously for him because now they're literally working with him and his wife to create this aviary book. So it's large format, high-quality photography, very modernist cuisine-looking, but with the intention of being able to actually use all of the recipes in there. Not that modernist cuisine wasn't like that, um, but you should be able to technically recreate anything you want out of this book after, of course, you purchase some of the gear required. So if you're interested in the 100-plus aviary recipes that they're about to share, go ahead and snag a copy. Uh, There's only a few reserve copies left uh, as I'm looking at the Kickstarter Page here. There's less than 250. uh, Oh, there's a ton actually left. (laughs) There's uh, 250 people got the signed copy. Um, But there's a ton. There's a ton of really nice uh, options. If you're into cocktails or really nice food photography or anything like that, go ahead and check out this Kickstarter. Um, uh, Where was I? Definitely impressed by the marketing, the transparency, and overall the use of the internet to crush a project like this. Uh, They're super smart. If you're awesome and follow me on Instagram, you might have seen I actually, uh, I guess, drank. You could say I was going to say ate, but drank at the Aviary uh, this past Sunday evening. And the photo that they're actually using for the thumbnail of this Kickstarter video was a cocktail that I ordered called Panda's Last Word. A play on a last word cocktail, which is one of my favorites, but they make it with pisco. Um I thoroughly enjoyed that drink and all the tiny little boozy ice cubes that came with it. If you want more cool stories like that or any food-related stuff, go ahead and follow me on my Instagram, Justin Kana, uh, one giant word. Wow, Justin, great transition into personal plug time. Uh we are still not sponsored on this show, so I get to do some cool uh shout-outs on some other content that I create outside of this podcast. Uh, so last up is going to be the time when I leave you with some cool stuff to check out, not only for me but some non-industry related stuff. And yes, this is all maybe a little bit industry related this week, but nonetheless something to check out. First up is my little trailer slash recap, I guess you could call it, from a pop up that I did at a place called Whisk, a cooking class space here in Bellevue, a neighborhood just outside of Seattle. And it was a really great evening. I was super happy with all the food and the fact that we got a lot of content with it as well. A good buddy of mine um, did some photos, did some video stuff, and I chopped it all down uh, to a basically less than two-minute video for a nine-course tasting menu. So definitely check that out. Uh, It doesn't take up too much of your time. Plus, you can see kind of what I've been up to. Um, I've also got one more little uh, DOD video, Dish of the Day video coming out about that evening dropping this week sometime, so stay tuned for that. As well, I've also been having a blast on Instagram. I already mentioned that uh, already. But again, if you aren't following there, make sure you do so so you can stay up to date. That's more or less my place where I uh, post as much as possible. Um, Okay, so this last story, Katy Perry, America's favorite... Is she the favorite? Who else would be the favorite? Beyonce, maybe? Um, Well, one of America's favorite pop stars released a song with Migos... Called Bon Appetit, and the lyrics are hilarious. So I'm going to quote I'm not going to sing for you. You can check out the link in the show notes. Um, you could use some sugar because your levels ain't right. I'm a five star Michelin, a Kobe flown in. You want what I'm cooking, boy. Oh, geez. I didn't flow that very well. But, Katie, I'd really like you to tell me the last five Michelin star spot you've been to because, you know, she, she's taking it two stars too high. But uh, we're definitely, definitely going f- full circle on that female chef story. Cue the, the siren noises on that. Uh, check the whole song out. It's a good time. It's linked in the show notes. As always, that can be your next move. Um, but with that, this has been episode 11 of The Emulsion. And regardless of if you've been watching here live on Facebook or if you're on the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, I want to thank you. Oh, Sebastian's late to the party. Uh, I want to thank you so much uh, for watching uh, or listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or want to be part of the conversation, I ask that you leave a comment about today's question of the day regarding anything we've covered, specifically the female chef conundrum this week. Uh, And of course, share this podcast on any of your social networks. I know there's someone you work with that could use a little bit more industry knowledge in their life, go ahead and tag me or use hashtag the emulsion and I'll be sure to say hi. Oh yeah, that special announcement. So I've decided next week's show is going to be an interview show. I can't say who yet. Uh, I've got a few guests that I like to get in on the calendar going forward, but I just wanted to share that with you because I'm excited to get some awesome people on the show and chat. If you haven't checked out Dave Hadley's episode, that was more or less an hour-long chat bonanza. We talked a bunch of cool stuff. So I'd go ahead and leave a comment down below if you have someone you'd like to see come on the show or if you yourself um, feel like you could really uh, be part of this conversation and chat a little bit of industry stuff with me on the show. So I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you, of course. Thanks in advance. I'm Justin Kana. Have a good one.